Welcome to I Got Back Up, Getting Back Up With. I'm Talia Lazarus, your host, and in August 2021, my whole life changed. I was in a road accident, which led me to 10 weeks of no walking, knee surgery that September, and double knee surgery in February 2022. After learning how to walk again in my 20s, my journey took me on a physical, emotional, and mental roller coaster, and I was broken and lost in every way. But then I learned I had the ability to change my own life and write my own story. So think of a taboo subject that's not always spoken about. Here we confront it and run towards it head on. Rock bottom becomes a safe and comfortable place. Rising from the ashes, taking control of your life and showing up to your fears takes something extraordinary. The hardest step is the first one, but once you take it, you're already one step ahead of yesterday and one step closer to everything you have ever dreamt of. It really changes you. I don't relate much to the JM of three years ago, describes Formula 2 racing driver Juan Manuel Correa. In 2019, Juan Manuel, also known as JM, was involved in a serious crash at the spa track with Antoine Hubert. JM had serious injuries to both his legs, back and spine, and unfortunately, Hubert lost his life. Back in the car within months and having returned to F2 in 2023, JM realised this wasn't just a physical recovery, but emotional and mental too. Rock bottom is liberating, but after the accident, JM understood that even at your lowest, there is always something to live for. His approach to life and perspectives changed, and what truly makes him happy. So how do we move forward after what we've been through? So today we're with Juan Manuel. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a, a busy day, but uh, here you are too, to make things more interesting for me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Breaking up the day, aren't I? Right in the yeah, middle. <laughs> you're, you're giving me a bit of a break from, from the normal media stuff, so this is fun. Good. Yeah, this is uh, our setup's been fun as well. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a... <laughs> we, we got it going. Don't, we don't, got don't it going. It. Yeah. So obviously today we're here to talk all about you know your story, everything that's happened and where you are now. So the ball is over to you and, you know, you can start wherever you want. Well, I mean, I can start really from the beginning. So I was born, um, I was born in Ecuador, mm-hmm. uh, Quito, Ecuador, the capital. Uh, and I started, I was always in a, a family that was involved in motorsports. So both uh, parents, big motorsports fans on both sides of the family, grandparents and uncles as well, uh, but but never any professional drivers mm-hmm. but I kind of grew up in that environment and I actually started racing motocross when I was four years old so my dad was uh, very much into motorcycles and then at seven years old I tried a go-kart and my mom was never a big fan of me riding motorcycles because they're quite dangerous <laughs> and I jumped in a go-kart and from that day on uh, I kind of I, I guess I found my my calling as you would say and I never wanted to go back into a motorcycle. I started practicing, racing, and uh, just like most other drivers, it uh, it all started to scale up from there. You know, it starts like a, as a hobby, something to do on the weekends with, with your parents, with your friends. And um, before you know it, you're racing the national championships, <laughs> going overseas. Um, and, and when I was 11, my family and I moved to Miami mm-hmm. for my dad's work. So it was not related to, to my racing. But that that was very good for my career because mm-hmm. I started racing in, in the USA. My dad is American, okay. by, by the way, so I have double nationality. Uh, and it was kind of like the same progression mm-hmm. 
from local small karting races to national championships yeah. and eventually in 2013 I won the world championship which was like a big upset because I was still racing just uh nationally in the USA yeah. at that point and that's when my career I would say kind of like exploded I had my first professional contract in Italy I had to pack my bags at 14 uh move over there uh, and I started working my way up the, the ladder in Europe, uh, racing karting, then Formula 4, mm-hmm. then GP3, then Formula 2. Uh, this is very condensed, obviously. This was uh, <laughs> over a lot of, of years and a lot of work. But uh, eventually I made it to Formula 2 mm-hmm. when I was 19. That's when I signed. Uh, and that's when the accident happened mm-hmm. in that year. So actually the first part of the year went really well. I was one of the best uh, rookies so far. Um, I had two podiums. And then after the summer break, we had the race in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where the accident happened. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you just want to get into it. or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wherever, yeah. wherever you want to go with the accident, absolutely. So, well, I'll tell you what happened. It, it was Saturday. Mm-hmm which for F2 is the feature race day, mm-hmm. the long one. I was I had a very bad qualifying the day before. I made a mistake and I was starting like 16th. So I had to make up some some positions. Started the race. I had a really good start. Um, and then as we were beginning the second lap, everything seemed uh, normal. It kind of like everyone was settling in. So most of the time the accidents are over uh, by, by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going up Orouge Radion, which is this very high speed uphill corner that becomes blind, so you cannot see what's right after. I was going through it flat out, and as soon as I reached the top, I just saw a piece of, of carbon from another car, like kind of like sliding across the track, and it went under my car. So it hit my front wing, my wing went under the car. And these cars are so low that when something gets stuck under, your front tires are up in the air. So you cannot turn mm-hmm. the steering wheel. So I was like, oh, shoot, I'm going into the wall. So I kind of like brace for impact. And at this point, I was doing maybe 160 miles an hour. Um, and then last minute, I looked up and uh, I just saw another car standing still in front of me. And that's what I hit. Um, but it all happened like maybe in like a second or half a second, everything that I'm telling you. So it was super, super sudden. Uh, and then the main thing that I remember at that moment was the pain was super intense, which was scary because usually with the amount of adrenaline we have, we cannot feel pain, yeah. right? Like I've had other big crashes, nothing even close to this, where I'm fine. And then, you know, five hours later, I cannot get up from bed because I'm so sore. But I knew in this case that something was seriously wrong, yeah. especially with the legs. Um, and the car ended up on its head. I had to, uh, I kind of went into survival mode. I unstrapped myself and, and started trying to crawl out of the car. But I was like, I was screaming from the pain. It was, yeah, it was really, really horrible. And I, for some reason, I thought I had lost my legs. I felt like they had been just amputated because it almost felt like they were just connected by the racing suit. Like mm-hmm. they were like a, a yeah. puppet, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was pretty nasty. And as I, I was getting out, I, I don't want, maybe some people are going to be like, this is, this is too much. Oh. So anyway, I, I was scooting out and then the 
medics arrived, they sedated me. And when I saw the medics' faces, it's when I really got freaking scared because they were like, they didn't know what to do, you know, yeah. like, and I was like, oh my God, it's bad. Um, and yeah, I was in a lot of pain. They sedated me and I woke up the next day in, in a Belgian hospital after the first set of surgeries. Um, so basically what happened is I completely destroyed my, both of my legs, um, especially the right lower tibia. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, pretty much, uh, disintegrated. Um, the left one had a clean, clean break in, in two parts and they were able to put a intramedular titanium nail through, okay. through it and stabilize it. But the right one, the next morning when I woke up, they were, they said, like, we cannot save that leg here. Like, we either amputate it or you go somewhere else to try to get it saved. So um, at that point, I was still not not that worried. I mean, I don't want to say not that worried, but it was like, okay, the worst has passed, right? Yeah. Um, we'll try to fix the leg, whatever. I'm alive. I broke my back as well, but it was a stable fracture. So, you know, a lot of things could have been much worse. I still didn't know about Antoine passing away. So then over the course of that day, my I started complaining a little bit about my breathing. Like I couldn't breathe well. My lungs felt funny. And nobody really knew what was going on. And then over the next few days, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I started literally like drowning in my own lungs. Yeah. Until uh, a friend of ours, a doctor, he recommended that um, we, we go come to London actually. Yeah. Because he said, look, these doctors here in, in Belgium, they don't really know what's going on. He suspected that I was going to have a lung failure. And the machine that I needed to survive a lung failure was not available in, in Belgium. So we took a medical plane, arrived to London, still with an open fracture in the right. So we hadn't been able to do anything about that yet. So it kind of like switched from that being our priority to the lungs because it was going downhill quite fast. Um, and I think... 20 hours after I landed in London, my lungs collapsed completely. And they put me into an induced coma with this machine called the ECMO, okay. which is a, it's basically a machine that takes out all your um, your blood, oxygenates it, and puts it back in through the other side. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be in an induced coma for that. Obviously, you cannot be awake. Um, so, yeah, that was like two weeks of me being out. Um Woke up from that, and immediately the tension shifted back to to the leg because it it still had an open fracture. Yes. By that stage, they had removed so much of the dead tissue because it just kept you know they had yeah. to keep opening the wound that I had a hole that was about the size of a, a baked potato. Like you could see, I'll show you a picture after it. Yeah, yeah, no, you can. Oh, we're gonna see it now. Uh, you want to. <laughs> see my live reaction. <laughs> yeah, that could be interesting. Right. I don't find things like this squeamish. I say right so, now. So that was a uh, the original um, X-ray. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the right one, pretty pretty straight. The left one, not that bad. Yeah. And I broke all of the bones in the feet as well, as you can see. Like I had mini fractures everywhere. I mean, it's just like a, it looks like a piece of chalk. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it got breaking. run over by a bus. Yeah. Uh, that's how big it was by the end of it. So that's that's this part. Okay. Yeah. No, that's a proper hole. Yeah. It's it's, a, it's a, so it started like this, you know, just a little bit of the bone sticking out, mm -hmm. and little by little, it uh, 
Yeah, I'll look at them. This one's nasty. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't look real. I no, mean, it, it, it looks that like, a, look like a CSI episode. Yeah, no, that looks yeah. like something you see on the, um, the television. And then, um, so when they did the, the surgery to save the leg, mm-hmm. which we'll get to that, this is how they did it, and they removed all those bones. Yeah. I mean, that looks like a crime scene. Yeah, it's nasty. But we'll get to that. <laughs> So then I, my lungs survived yeah. uh, the, the coma. I came out. And initially, they, the recommendation was to amputate the leg, mm-hmm. the right one. Because at that point, you know, it was in a really bad state. And they were very worried that the, the surgery needed to try to save it was going to be too long. And my lungs would not stand it. And I was going to die in the, in the surgery. So it was a tough decision for me because... I really wanted to try to save the leg because mm. I wanted to race again yeah. and I needed the, uh, the the feeling, you know, I I didn't want to race with a prosthetic or with, in that case, I would have had to use a hand control in the steering wheel, but that really closes a lot of the doors for you as a driver, right? When the team has to make those type of adaptations, it's not uh, not easy to find a seat. So I opted to, to have the surgery and, and kind of risk it. And um, we had like a menu of, the options like from a to z you know like <laughs> bad, good to to bad to worse uh, and a lot of those were like okay the worst was i die in the surgery the best was that they they would find all the pieces of bone still had enough blood supply that they were still alive and yeah. they wouldn't have to remove any bone and they would just kind of like stick it together and for sure i would have had a lot of damage in the cartilage, whatever, but the whole bone would yeah. be able to be fixed. And really, it ended up coming somewhere in the middle. So they had to remove a lot of the bone. Mm-hmm. I didn't die, which was good. Uh, but but the recovery was going to be very, very long because they, they removed 10 centimeters of the tibia, like just out. So I had no bone. like, And, and they put that exoskeleton. Yeah. So in the beginning, it was messed up. Like you could go in the front of my tibia mm-hmm. and just squish through, and there was no bone, so you could almost reach the other side. And then up here, there was bone. Yeah, I it can was. See on your face as well. You're still in shock about it. I mean, it was weird. <laughs> I was playing with it all the time. I was like, "Oh my god, this is crazy." Um. So yeah, it was yeah. So they put the external fixator, um, and then they started regrowing my bone. Okay. I didn't know you could regrow bone. But yeah. what, what they do is they cut it on the top where it's uh, healthy mm-hmm. and they start transporting it down once one millimeter per day. Okay. That's a rate where the bone doesn't fully separate. Mm-hmm. So it's still kind of the, the, the inside of the bone stretches mm-hmm. and then bone gets formed around the inside. So I did that for 100 days. So I, was, I literally had my wrench every day. I'm not joking. <laughs> I know. Every day, one millimeter, <laughs> and uh, stretching it out like that for a hundred days. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty. Much. Our bodies are wild, though. Our it's bodies, crazy. How, how our bodies can do things like that. No, it's uh, yeah, like the things I saw. Honestly, now I'm I'm almost like a pre-certified doctor. Like <laughs> I spent two months in a hospital. Yeah, it got to a point where. I was telling the nurses what to do. Yeah. No, like, seriously, like, you know, even things like IVs and stuff, like, I can take my own blood out now. <laughs> like, before I used to be, before the accident, I would pass out if I had really? blood drawn. I would pass out. 
now I give myself like uh, you know shots yeah. in the in the ass whatever you know yeah <laughs> which before like I couldn't see a needle like I would I would be like oh, oh shaky so it it really changes you um and then the the recovery after that was arguably the worst part to be honest and that's you know in the beginning when the doctor said you should amputate it i was like why and they're like because the 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 process to recover will be so long and painful mm-hmm. that you will end up wanting to amputate <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i couldn't fathom like how could somebody prefer that until i went through it yeah and uh, i'll tell you like if, if i had to do it again I don't know if, mm. if, if I would go through, really? like, yeah, honestly, maybe I would still, because I, I have a career and I need yeah. my leg. But if, if you would tell me like, you cannot drive anyways after I would probably just amputate it and, yeah. and have a prosthetic. Yeah. It, it was, it was horrible. And, and also I still live with pain every day. Like my, my right ankle is, uh, it's completely messed up. Like that's all the movement I have. <laughs> and the, yeah, I have pretty severe arthritis, which I will have to deal with for the rest of my life. So it's um it's the best we could do but it was it's better than than what we expected so that was it and then i always knew i wanted to get back into a car so early on in the hospital i told myself like and and i i realized that i was gonna need a goal to work towards otherwise i was just gonna get depressed and uh, and so i put that as, as a goal and it was kind of sad because people were like, yeah, sure. You know, like they felt pity and yeah. there's nothing worse than people feeling pity for you. At least for me, I hate it. And, but I just day by day, it started getting a little bit closer, but it, 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 it seemed impossible up until the moment it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. like I remember when I signed my contract, I was still in a, in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and I had managed to convince the boss of this team that uh that I was gonna be ready and that I had doctor certifications that I was gonna be ready. It was all fake. <laughs> Not really. I, I, I falsified it. Um so then he he gave me the chance. Um Seb Seb Philippe, French guy. Um and, and I owe him for that. But um I went back to Miami. I had a I sit down with my doctor and I said, uh, I have to be driving in four months and he started laughing, right? <laughs> And I said, no, it's not a joke. Like, I have a, a contract. And he's just like, no, like, impossible. Like, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Until I kind of, like, told him, I, I'll do it with you or, or with somebody else. So, you, you know, yeah. it's your choice. And then we started looking at um, kind of, like, experimental treatments to speed the, yeah. the whole process up. So we ended up taking out the external fixator, which mm-hmm. I was supposed to have for another six months. Mm-hmm. And we put an internal titanium rod also in this one so then i had two one on each leg Uh, but that had a big risk of infection so we had to do a whole treatment for that before so it was hard and then once i was metal free externally it was uh now a matter of focusing a lot on on the rehab and Mm -hmm. learning to at that stage i was still wheelchair and crutches Mm -hmm. like i couldn't walk Uh, and I was supposed to be in a car like in two months. Mm-hmm. So actually for my first test day in, in, a, in a race car, I was walking around with crutches and then driving. And then, yeah. yeah. So that, that was like kind of like my first year racing was, uh, uh, I used to say I'm half patient, half driver, because <laughs> I'm still like doing yeah. five hours of rehab every day. And slowly 
I've gotten to to this stage, which when I talk about the whole story again and look at it on on the big picture, it's quite surreal that I'm in this position. Mm. It is. It's it's amazing. It's amazing to be in this position. I mean, obviously that you made it out, but then obviously to be in this position where you're also back in a car and you're walking. Mm. Do you sometimes pinch yourself and think you can't believe where you are? Yeah. 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 Especially like, like I said, when I look back at it, um, it's quite strange. Yeah. It it almost feels like that, that happened in a, in a different life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, I can't um, relate that much to the JM of, Three years ago, lying in a hospital bed, like thinking his life was over, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it isn't, and and I'm back. Um, there's still a lot of things I have to deal with on yeah. a day-to-day basis, but that has become kind of like my new normal, mm-hmm. and I just adapt to it. Um, but I'm not constantly thinking all day about about it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's. I just kind of. Yeah. I don't know if it's happened to you. You learn to live with a certain types of pain and. Uh, you adapt. Yeah. It, it's incredible how the mind and the body adapt to mm. whatever it gets. It's really cool. No, I agree. It's it's incredible what the mind can do. Yeah. Do you think then? Do you think you're uh, you've changed a lot as a person from the accident? You like you know you said you don't recognize who you were three years ago. So do you think everything that happened with the accident has completely changed you? Yeah. Yeah. Like for sure. Yeah. It's uh. Definitely a lot of it has to do with just growing up. I yeah. think from 19 to 23, it's also a, an important stage in every yeah. every man's life, right? <laughs> but um, no, I, I have changed a lot. Yeah. Like there's a before and after the accident of how I am and, and even my identity as, yeah. as a whole. I think my approach to life changed quite a lot. Um, it's It's kind of sad that sometimes it takes something so horrific to put certain things into perspective mm-hmm. and that's what this made me realize you know like we get so caught up in uh in our day-to-day lives in a bit the culture that we live in you know like where there's really trivial things that actually no don't matter and we make them you know a big deal and we let that um dictate our, our emotions uh and I realized with this, thank God I, I realized it early. I feel like that's a privilege, to be honest, that um, most, most of the things people worry about are, are BS. <laughs> like, it's just like, that's not a real problem, you know? Like, yeah. so, so it, it makes you approach life with a, I would say, a cleaner view and mm. just more thankful, more chilled out. I'll tell you one thing, like, an, an example. Obviously, I've been racing my whole life, yeah. sacrificed a lot for it. So when I remember 2019, before the accident, for me, getting to F1 was like, it was everything, right? Like, I I was actually like convinced in my head that if I wouldn't make it to F1, I wouldn't be able to be happy the rest of my life. No joke. Yeah, it's interesting. After the accident, I was like, <laughs> like that's, that's like maybe this big in the yeah. grand scheme of of your life and what makes you happy right i was convinced before that if i didn't drive and if i wasn't a racer i would be miserable Mm -hmm. after the accident i was like that no like that's simply not true you know i I found other things that give me pleasure that uh fill me um 
and that I could do. I just chose to get yeah. back because I do love it, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's what I do. But uh, that that gives me a certain level of freedom that I didn't have before. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, it's like a new lease of life. Yeah, it's like a complete new lease of life, and I I, I relate on every single level with obviously what I went through and. There are, I find beauty in the smallest of things now and happiness in the smallest of things mm. now that maybe I used to, but now I really do. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, if you get to F1 one day, then amazing. That, mm. that, that's, that's amazing. But yeah. kind of if you don't, then, you know, you're finding happiness in everything else as well, which is a really important message, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's. I mean, he's hoping you do, but... <laughs> I, I, of course, I, I'd love to. Yeah. And, and that's why I work hard. Um, it, it didn't it didn't change me in that way. Like, I'm still very competitive. I yeah, still no, want to no, be the best. Course. And, uh, you know, it's not like I'm just like, oh, I'm living life, uh, yeah. whatever. No, no. Like, I, I want to do great things, um, not just with racing. But uh, one thing that I remember thinking was... Uh, I remember one time after the crash. I was in my wheelchair. I couldn't do anything by myself. I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. I was having a really bad day, even in, in that moment, a bad day for what my standard <laughs> was back then, right? And I remember thinking like, damn, back in the day, I would have been feeling just as bad mm-hmm. if like I had a fight with my girlfriend. Like, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, how stupid was I? Yeah. Like, that's not a real problem, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I realized like, when you feel miserable... It, you feel just as miserable for something this big yeah. or something this big. So then that's when I kind of realized how important it is to put put stuff in perspective and kind of like compartmentalize mm-hmm. certain things. Like that's not really that, that yeah. big of a deal. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I think I, I, I don't want to say the accident was a good thing eh, because I, I wouldn't wish it on, on anybody. And because Antoine passed away, mm-hmm. uh, but I have managed to see good things even yeah. with everything. Like certain things, I wouldn't want to to not have. Right, like yeah. certain experiences, and as a whole, I would say the experience for me has been more positive than negative, definitely. Um, but it's just very difficult to explain that to somebody that hasn't gone through something similar, because. Mm-hmm it's uh it's something that you kind of have to live through yeah do you think people realize that when they're much much older even if they don't go through something like that that's a really good question because i always think about that's a really good question i don't know actually because Hmm. you're right in the sense where you say it's sad that we have to sometimes go through these things for us to realize these things Hmm. just like i know i did and like you said you did and I've spoken to a lot of other people that say the same thing. Yeah. So then it's like, well, what happens if you, you know, if you don't have if to, you if you never have like to go through something like that, and please God, people don't have to. I hope so. Yeah, I really yeah, hope yeah. people don't. But you're right. And then you get to, you know, 80, 90. Yeah, it's a really interesting mm-hmm. question. I think some people know, no, we'll never, we'll never, it will never have, they'll never have that, that light bulb moment, I think. Maybe. Unless they unless they understand it or people explain it to them, does that make sense? I think the more maybe the more they hear about it, and it might help them reevaluate. But mm. I think, but I think that's that is sad in a way, though, that we do have to go through these things. But then, if we don't go through these things, sometimes some of us don't 
Yeah, you never get it. Yeah, it's something I always I always wonder. What do you think? <laughs> I I think as you get older, you probably some some things you do realize. Yeah. But I, I think never the whole scope of it unless you have uh, an experience like it. Yeah. But I also think that with age, most people have maybe not something so bad, but your your parents pass yeah. away. You know, like you have yeah. traumatizing events, and that's what makes you realize. So I think in um in the the evolution of a person's life. It's already planned for you to have those yeah. moments. Some people just have them prematurely, like us, when something like that yeah. happens. But it's something that you will get eventually, one way or another. For sure, some people don't still don't take it with the right approach. And I mm, think yeah. a lot of, a lot of it, uh, like a message I give to to many people is, it's all about uh, how you see things, you know, mm. like, and what you make of the cards you're dealt with. I know it's like a cliche, but it's so true, like. So many people live unhappy and uh, don't do what they really love and don't chase yeah. something they want because they're, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I can't. Like, yeah. it's too difficult. Like, sometimes you just gotta, just yeah. gotta try. You gotta do it. And w- one thing that happened as well was when, when I thought I was dying with my lungs, mm-hmm. I, was, I was dying in peace. Because I had worked my ass off for 19 years of my life. And I was like, okay, like, and literally, like, I had this conversation with my parents, like, in in the hospital. Like, I was like, don't worry about me. Like, I'll I'll be fine because, you know, I've done everything that I I, I wanted to do. Like, I would have loved to do it for for another 19 years, but uh, don't don't worry about me. And then that's also what made me realize, like, okay, if I, if I make it through this yeah. i need to keep that mentality because i was correct you know and i really don't want to die with regrets i think yeah. that's probably one of the scariest yeah. things i uh, no, i agree mm-hmm. i think it's really interesting that you were able to say that you know off straight after the accident that you were able to say something like that because i think a lot of people can't say things like that in their life they they i think they get to a point where they wish they did something like you said mm-hmm. or they they wish they followed their dream or they wish they they told that person they loved them do you see yeah. what i mean it's yeah. it's it's any of those things that people are too scared to do mm. um but what i've learned uh before my accident but also i think even more now is is saying yes to life but also not just saying yes to life is you know, what's going to happen what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you do that thing you're scared about doing yeah you know they're going to say no or it's not going to happen the, the worst thing is it's just not going to happen yeah. but you won't know unless you try and it goes back to perspective, right? Because even yeah. with that, um, what do you think is? No, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> uh, like an example, right? Mm-hmm. If there's Janet, let's Janet, okay. right? She works in an office as I don't know, a sales manager, or whatever. Okay. And she hates her job, yeah. right? She, it's, mm. it's a nine to five about something that she's not passionate about. Um, and she's like, damn, like one day I'm going to quit and open up my own agency. Yep. Right? One day, one day. Janet is 28 by now. Mm. 28? Like, you know, okay, like start to, start to start making, you know, your own way. 
It's like, you know, but I'm scared because if I do it, what if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What's the worst that can happen? Well, I will have to find another job. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, like that's, that's not a, yeah. that, that's not a disaster. Yeah. So uh, another thing that happened to me was like, I was at such a low point mm-hmm. that everything seemed like a positive. I was like, I cannot, I cannot go any lower yeah, than where yeah, I am right now. Yeah. And that gives you that freedom of like, you know like <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try and, and then you were able to keep that uh sort of mentality when you needed yeah. like whatever we'll try oh. yeah because rock bottom is a it's a pretty low place isn't it it's super low yeah but it's liberating don't you think like yeah. it's like oof, like it like i don't care yeah. I, I i got to certain points where i couldn't care like if i was hit by a train like I wasn't suicidal or anything, you know, but like, I did not care. Yeah. I did not care about myself, like mm. my family. Yes, of course. But, um, I, I, I even also was a lot of the uh, pain medication, mm. <laughs> uh, the side effects those, those things had on me. Were you ever on, on them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on a few, but only for kind of short periods of time after my operations. Okay. I mean, I was just at home, like horizontal for two weeks on mm. pain medication. Yeah, that, that that was me, but I was on it for like four months. Yeah, and it got to a point where I couldn't feel any, even no bad or good emotions. Like I couldn't feel. You just feel nothing. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was numb. It was yeah. crazy, and that I understood then for the first time why some people inflict uh, themselves, like yeah. cut themselves. You know, like before, I never really understood yeah. the concept until I was like that. I was like. Even like cutting myself would be better because I would feel some sort of pain or something than nothing. Um, yeah, that's deep. Uh, no, but I, I understand. You, it. you know what I mean? Like, well, no, I do understand it because I, how I, what you just said and how I see it is when you are at rock bottom and when you are that low, I now, I now understand also why some people turn to other, other forms of, of, of whether it's, you know, substances or yeah. I, I i can actually understand now why people can turn to things like that yeah. because taking that kind of that first step or that kind of that mindset to be more positive that's actually harder than going the other way yeah. so taking that first step to being you know that first step to to you know the new life or positivity or anything on your recovery it's actually so much easier to stay kind of where you are it's it's it feels it, safe yeah and you find other you try to find other ways of getting yeah feelings yeah, to feeling something yeah. right yeah but another thing that people ask me is like so how did you get out of like what was the key to making it out of mm-hmm. that i don't know what you think but there's not a key like it's yeah. just like it's a process yeah it's like day after day and maybe for the first month, you'll feel like nothing changed. But then you'll do another month. And then maybe at the end of the second month, it'll be a little bit better. And then by the third month, you'll be like, okay, yeah, you know, like, it's not like, oh, I'm going to be positive tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm going to go for a run. And then I'm going to feel perfect. No, yeah. no, no, no. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And that, that was a bit kind of how my whole um, recovery went. It was really like. I had a, a mountain to climb and I was just doing like a little step every day, little step, little step. Uh, and sometimes like even after four or five, six months, I was like, is this even worth it? You know, like what, what am I doing? But I just, I, I was lucky that I didn't know any better. 
because yeah. I was already very committed before for my racing. So I was like, this is all I know how to do. So I just kept really grinding. And then before you know it, at 10 months, like, oh, okay, like mm. there is progress. You know, we're getting somewhere. It's good news. Uh, and here I am three years later and people see me like the doctors that, that saved my legs originally. I saw them mid last year yeah. and I walked into the office and they were like, <laughs> you know, what, what the hell? <laughs> you know? They, they were really impressed. So that was nice. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's <good. laughs> yeah. It's, but it is, it's the, it's the small steps. It's the one step after the next step. doesn't matter how teeny tiny that step is. It is that one step after the next it's the you like you said it's a mountain it's a climb and it's all part of your recovery are the small steps and you're you know you're right when you say it's not gonna you're not gonna wake up the next day and be like right I'm gonna put on my superhero cape and be Mr. Positive today yeah no it doesn't work like that no um but I think that's where it's so important to never give up because Mm. you might not see the light for a very 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 long time but if you just keep going it does arrive yeah so what what was it for you the hardest i know it's difficult because people ask me that question but what was the worst moment for you in, in everything you went through i think the hardest moment was having my complete independence taken from me like mm. everything mm. um yeah you know, i couldn't get a i couldn't even get a glass of water on my own um and i think you know i was 25 at the time and I think you know being 25 and not even being able to get your own glass of water it's 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 your head my head doesn't didn't know how to you know yeah how to understand how to cope with with it how to understand what was going on and it was like you know but all I need to do is walk over to the kitchen sink and when my mind is kind of saying you can do it but my body couldn't it was why is this not working Mm. um definitely definitely I'm relearning how to walk was wild weird eh? yeah i mean yeah. the last time i learned how to walk i was you know, tiny <laughs> did, did they did they make you do it in the pool because i did no, a no, lot no. of pool no. no i did it with my physio i was holding his hand oh, yeah? yeah with my knee brace on from my ankle to yeah. my thigh mm. yeah and he kind of told me to take a step and it was really interesting because that first step he asked me to take i remember i couldn't take it mm. I, I went forward i was leaning and he said just you know take a step and i said i can't i said i don't know which leg to to to, what to, do, yeah. what to do and That's he said just, he said pick a leg I said I, c- I couldn't pick a leg it was crazy <laughs> yeah. I said to him I said can you pick one for me he said okay that one <laughs> <laughs> and I was like okay I'm gonna do this <laughs> yeah it, it is weird I, I remember for me I, I would wonder after like a, a few months in a wheelchair without taking a single step I would look at people walking and I was like I wonder if I remember how to walk and yeah. I would try to remember the feeling of walking, and I, I couldn't. Yeah. Something that's so, so basic. Yeah. Like, I, I couldn't imagine, like, having a balance yeah. and, and all that. It was very weird. And and for me, another thing that was very hard was I never had a, a clear, the doctors never had a clear kind of idea of how much I was going to recover. Yeah. So really most of the time the um, expectations i would say were that okay maybe we can save the leg but is the leg gonna be usable mm-hmm. like am i gonna be able to put weight on it am i gonna be able to stand the pain etc so i would see like 
people walking or like I remember I saw one time this guy carrying his daughter on his on his shoulder on his neck you know a little baby and I started crying I was like if I ever have a daughter or, or a son will I be able to do that you know like really deep stuff I was 20 you know like I was thinking about having kids but it was like those are the things that really you, then you understand what's really important to you you know like I was not thinking about will I be able to go to a club and and, and dance no 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 you know like am I gonna be able to go on a walk with my wife you know and walk the dog whatever so yeah it was it was weird it was weird but it was it was it was good in, in many ways yeah. yeah i i remember i think i was driving i think i was driving home from physio and i was someone was running i mean i can drive for a while anyway but once i could start driving again yeah. and i remember something someone was running along the side of the road and i think i started crying because i was just you know i was walking again but yeah. I, I couldn't run yet. I definitely mm. couldn't run yet. And I remember I just started crying because I just thought, you know, look at you. It's yeah. so easy. Yeah. Like, you have if, you no... only, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew how lucky you are. <laughs> yeah. If you only knew how lucky you are that yeah. you can, you can yeah. get, you know, both feet in front of the other and run. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that I used was, to cry at the most, ra- most random of things I used to cry. Yeah. Things that I couldn't do at the time. And I wasn't sure. I wasn't sh- I mean, I, I knew I'd recover, but. I didn't know how long it would take me. I used to cry the most random things. <laughs> well, I, I, I can relate. Were you driving with, like, how did you, how was the driving for you initially? Or was I wasn't you... allowed to drive manual for yeah. a very long time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wh- which is the leg? It's my left leg. Left leg. Left ah, side. yeah, so the clutch would be. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to. I think they told me if it was my right leg, I would have been able to drive manual a lot sooner, but. Yeah yeah you know what i did um so you talked about independence Mm. it was the same for me but i am a very independent guy i've always been you know i've been i was imagine this i had been living alone since i was 14 okay yeah so i another part of the recovery was learning to live with my family again right it was it was weird and it was hard and there were a lot of fights so i wanted to be as independent as possible so I rented this van that actually looks like a London cab <laughs> and it would have a ramp yeah. come out and I could go in with my wheelchair. But that's meant so, you know, you take somebody with yeah. a wheelchair, you put him in, strap him in and then you drive him. But <laughs> the, the person in the wheelchair is not supposed to drive. So I was like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna do this myself, <laughs> right? So I ended up buying like a hook. Yeah. So I had a big pole and I, would, I was able to put the ramp down from the outside because it had a button. Yeah. But then once I got into the car, I couldn't put the ramp back in because the button was on the outside of the car. So with this pole, like I would get some <laughs> some distance and really floor it and get the, the, the wheelchair up and then get the pole and put the ramp back in. Yeah. And then I would hop from my wheelchair to the driver's seat. I would put my right leg, which had the big metals, mm-hmm. over the dashboard mm-hmm. in the car. And I would drive with my left. Mm-hmm. And I was going to therapy by myself. I was yeah. going to see friends like that. Yeah. So little by little... Um, even those like little small things, um, they, they made a big difference. And I started to kind of yeah. been able to live a little bit of my life. Um, even like showering in the beginning, it would take me an hour mm. to shower. You know, like it was a hassle. <laughs> By the end of it, 10 minutes, you know, like, like with a wheelchair, brakes, cooking, you know, like yeah. 
the, the stove was like up here in the beginning. I was like, what am I doing? You know, I can't, I can't do anything by the end of it. I yeah. could, I could do whatever I wanted by myself in the wheelchair. But that's the thing is now you can look back at, you know, when you're cooking, you know, tonight or whenever you are cooking next, when you shower, you know, you can look back and go, but at one point in my life, I couldn't, couldn't do this yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, Everything. It's just being grateful for those moments, yeah. but also it's adapting to whatever you've got going on. You know, you adapted by making your own makeshift car, basically. Yeah. It's, it's, it's being able to adapt to, okay, so I've had this taken away from me. How am I going to, how am I going to, so in a different way, when I couldn't get a glass of water and I was, it was by, by, a, you know, at some at one point I was like, okay, I, I need to do, I need to do this. Mm. Not that my physio or my surgeon were happy when I told them, mm. but I used to hop. I started hopping around. I mean, there was me. I used to use, cr- use crutches every time I went anywhere. <laughs> but then I, I would see the kitchen and I, just, just I didn't want to keep calling people. Yeah. I didn't want to keep asking. <laughs> I mean, it was nice at, to start. It was <laughs> nice for like a week or two. Maybe, maybe. Like it was nice at the start. But then I just, I wanted to get my own glass of water. Yeah. And I just remember kind of just started to hop everywhere. And I was like, I knew that was so dangerous if I slipped. Yeah. But I had to adapt to just... You know, I had to adapt in my way. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> what, I, I went to the club a couple of times on in my wheelchair <laughs> with, with the external. The first time they didn't let me in because they said I was a liability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they said that if, if I would fall, like they looked at my leg, obviously, like I was bleeding, right? Like it was bad. And they were like, no, like you, you can't go in. So I was very disappointed. And then the second time I... Uh, I arranged so mm-hmm. with the owner of the club. I was like, please. Like, let me in. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went in and I was like, and that, that was another big thing. Like I made it a point, even if I was really depressed and I didn't feel like doing much, I made it a point to put myself out there and yeah. kind of like continue living some sort of life yeah. and uh, see some friends, um, do activities. Uh, yeah. It, it helped me. It really helped me. That and and the the support I had uh, from family and yeah, you know it was really big. So I think it's all it was all part of the of that process. Yeah. Were you scared to get back in a car? Do you feel like there was any fear or? Yeah. 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 Like what 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 happened was we as drivers we are. I'm going to say ignorant to the fact that we are really putting our, our lives on, yeah. on the line. Most people know it, you know, like, oh, motorsports is, is dangerous. Mm-hmm. And people tell me all the time, oh, it's crazy. It's so dangerous what you're doing. But I can tell you, like, most drivers don't don't want to believe it is, you know? Mm-hmm. They're like, nah, yeah. it's, 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 it's safe. So what, what the accident did was it just made me so much more aware of the actual... Mm-hmm dangers we're putting ourselves in so going back into a car yeah uh, for sure I, I i would even think in the beginning uh, about yeah. the accident a lot you know like it, i never had any sort of flashbacks or anything very intense you know but it was like okay like yeah. i am getting back in and i remember i would think this could be the last the last time i get in a car you know like yeah. i could have another crash like that and and i could die so it was it was a bit uh, emotional, but uh, little by little, it's just the adrenaline is yeah. like a drug, you know? It's like yeah, you get into it and you're like, oh, 
it feels good and you start feeling safer uh second race nothing happens third race nothing happens by yeah. the fifth race you're like oh yeah like it's safe yeah, you're <laughs> yeah you know, it's, that's, that's how it works that's the, only, that's the only way we're able to do what we do yeah you can't be hopping in every time into a race car like i might die today like yeah imagine. yeah i mean if you tell yourself that then yeah you have to get in that's no fun yeah no 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 you have yeah. to be ignorant to it like and just yeah no i i, I get that i mean i'm obviously not a race car driver but i do understand do it understand? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no i understand i do and um obviously you know you said at the time when you obviously had the accident and you know you were first in hospital you didn't know about antoine when yeah. you did find out about it yeah kind of, how was that it was hard that, yeah. that was one of the hardest things um and also the my memory's a bit blurry about those yeah. those few days pre coma. So post accident pre coma, those three days are like a blur. But I think what happened was my parents wanted to wait uh, maybe like a couple of days until they told me until I recovered because I was still in a pretty bad state. Um, but then the morning after the crash. A Belgian prosecutor came to the hospital to make me sign some documents. Mm. And then the document said that somebody had passed away in the crash. Okay. So that's how I found out. And I started having a breakdown. So my parents had to be phoned by the hospital because they were in their mm -hmm. hotel. And they had to come over to the hospital to yeah. to see me. And they said I was like, I was, yeah. that was not good. And then I had to find out again after the coma. Because when I came out of the coma, I couldn't remember anything. Really? I, the last thing I remembered post-coma was the crash. Not the days after the crash in the hospital in Belgium. Really crazy. Yeah, that's interesting. So then again, yeah. But but the second time, my subconscious yeah. knew. I was like, yeah, I kind of remember now, and it was still quite the uh, quite the news. And yeah, I, I had to deal with that for for many months. And like I, I was seeing a psychologist, and yeah. um, it, it was part of the recovery also men yeah, you know yeah, yeah. emotional emotional recovery is important when you have something so traumatic so yeah it was hard it was it was hard it's it still is to be honest to, to think about it it's it's not something that makes me super emotional anymore because it's something that i've had to deal with every day for the last three years so it gets to the point where you're you're used to thinking about it but it's it's just weird because it's not about me, you know, like I wasn't the only one involved and um, yeah, it's, I know there's a lot of people that were just as hurt by the accident that were not me, you know, his family, etc. Yeah. So that's, that's really hard to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's like what you were saying with any kind of trauma or recovery, it's not just physical, it's, it's a mental recovery as well. Yeah. And the mental side of things is... Like we were saying, it's how, when you change your perspective and when you learn how to you just learn whatever's going on and how to live with what's happened and how to move forward in the future. Yeah. 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 I think, well, mental health is, I, I've, I, I want to say I'm big on mental health because I don't talk about it publicly, but I am and part, most of it is due to the accident. Like yeah. I realized how important that is, you know, and it's also made me be able to be more more vulnerable than I was before. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, before I was like, oh, like I'm <laughs> fine, you know, I wouldn't talk about my my feelings. Oh, you talk about your feelings now. No, I I mean, I'm still. I, <laughs> no, I don't. I would not like. I, no, I do. I do. I do. I, I wouldn't say I'm like, uh, you know, the most expressive person, but I, I do like talking about my feelings. Yeah. And and the accident taught me that. Like, if you don't talk about your feelings. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna have to go through something at, at some point, right? Like you have to get it out. You need to rely on people. Um, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong there. There's this taboo about it. Uh, and, and in some aspects, more for for guys than girls, you know. And I think that sucks because uh, I know a lot of of guys, a lot of friends, and myself. Like we struggle with stuff as well, and many guys don't really like to talk about it. It's like seen as weird you know and that's that's not right but i think it's it's changing slowly and it's getting a little bit better yeah would you have advice for as we were saying you know then guys that obviously for anyone that might be struggling in silence i would say the biggest um advice but to be honest very very much also for girls is yeah get therapy yeah everybody should be in therapy honestly Mm. even if you think there's nothing wrong with you you should be like there is somewhere no, no, yeah. yes it, it, it's just you know like everybody i'm not saying like go every day every week like but every once in a while just uh you, you should try it at least once i yeah. think right and especially if you are going through something and you know you are then undoubtedly do it because um it, it, it helps it helps and like I said before, there's nothing to be ashamed of with with that. Like, tell if I go out on a date with a girl and she tells me, "Yeah, I go to therapy," like that's like a green flag, you know. Everybody's talking about green <laughs> flags. So like, that's like, yeah, you know. Like, then if I see someone that clearly is going through something, she's like, "No, no, like therapy's for crazies." Like, it's a red flag. That's a red flag, you know. <laughs> girl, get. You. I'm gonna send you to therapy. <laughs> yeah. You're able to see the red flags and the green flags. Yeah, so I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it gets to a point where I think therapy is needed, but there's no no mention of the therapy, I'm like, so like, what else do you do during this? <laughs> <laughs> Just like, so what do you do in the morning? So, so yeah. what's your schedule like? Oh man, no, that's messed up. <laughs> but the point is, yeah, that you, everybody should. Yeah, no, I I I actually agree in some ways. I do. So what what advice would you give then to somebody that's going through that's going through a physical, you know, a physical accident or injury and mm. kind of they get to the point where they're at rock bottom and they, mm. they, they don't have the goal or they don't have the hope, you know? Mm. What would you say? I would say that uh, rock bottom, I would almost say enjoy rock bottom because it, it's liberating in many ways, like we, we spoke about before, but mm-hmm. also really understand and, and uh, know that it will get better. Like, mm-hmm. it will. It, it, it's something that I had to go through where uh, everybody was like, yeah, it's going to be okay. And many people will pity you and try to make you feel better. But no, like, actually, with time and patience and adaptation, um, you will have a life again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so think about that when, when you're really at that lowest level because there is something to live for mm-hmm. uh, which is not easy to to always see and realize when you're there yeah no i like that yeah. Yeah, there is always something to live for always and if you can't see it now you will you will yeah 
Yeah. Exactly. Like, look at me, like, now. Like, three, four years ago when this was happening, I, I was like, I don't care. I don't yeah. care. I don't care. <laughs> and now, like, I wouldn't trade my life with anyone, yeah. you know? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it, yeah. even with the pain I have and whatever. There's always a way to to adapt and uh, and find the way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. just find the way because it will it will arise one day. Mm. So, what does the new year have in store for you? It's gonna be a big year for me. Um, I'm going back to Formula Two, mm-hmm. so obviously that that brings its own um, <laughs> commitments and, <laughs> and and it makes my my schedule very busy, but on a on a deeper level it's going back to the category that where i had the crash you know it's kind of like restarting again from where it ended so that that means a lot to me and it's also just very exciting to to be there for any driver it's it's a dream so i'll be doing 28 races through through the season traveling a lot um i'm still trying to get to formula 1 that's still my my goal uh, but really, my main focus right now is doing one or two years of, of Formula Two mm-hmm. in the coming seasons, and uh, I want to win the championship. So that's uh, that's what I think about every day now, <laughs> basically. Which which is my happy place actually. When I'm like, <laughs> you see me now, like all stressed, like oh yeah, I have gym <laughs> meetings secretly. I love it, right? I, I live for that. I, I I can complain all I want, but it makes me happy. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing you in it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, my pleasure. So is there anything else that you want to discuss today or? No, you tell me. No, well. I'm just, no. I'm just a guest. <laughs> you are, but you are just a guest, but this one's all about you. So, no, I think that's. I think covered it yeah, I think yeah. that's absolutely perfect. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to chat with you, JM. I'm enjoying watching you in Formula 2 this season. So this week, ask yourself. What have you been through that has changed you and your perspectives and outlook on life? Do you recognize the person you used to be before and during compared to who you've become? I'll leave you with that. So thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.